Yo, 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 what up? <laughs> hey, guys. <laughs> Welcome to the Arkansas Tech Chi Alpha podcast. Amen. What is going on? We are your hosts. My name is Kevin. This is Noah Stevens. Uh, my name is Kevin, and I like to party. <laughs> His name's not Kevin. My name's Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm Pierce. Um, yeah, we're glad you guys are able to join us. Um, today we're going to be discussing chapter three um, of the A.W. Tozer, Pursuit of God, and the title of chapter three is something about the veil. It's removing, removing the veil. Removing the veil. I was going to say yes. rending the veil. Mm. That's wrong, though. Is that, what does rend, to rend mean? Is rend it is also to remove? Rend think, your heart's got, not your it's garments. Like it's to, to tear. tear so. Oh, sick. It could be rend the veil. But yeah, we can rend the veil. A.W. Tozer he ended doesn't up doing his that. words. Very but that would be confusing yeah. for yeah, the listeners because they would be like, well, the title's not that. Uh, well, I can't find the title. He's a wonderful. The title's Removing the Veil, Chapter 3. Um, so we're going to read this portion first. And then uh, if you've already read the chapter and you want to just listen to our discussion, you can skip forward to time. Can you uh, edit in a voice? I'm going to put in like a computer. Like a gargoyle voice. <laughs> a gargoyle <laughs> Yar. Or a pirate voice. Aye, yar, 15 minutes and 43 seconds. <laughs> we'll see what happens in post. <laughs> yar, it'd be 2930. Oh, man. Cool. So, yeah. Well, now we're going to start reading uh, chapter three. So you can read along with us if you like. And once Noah composes himself, mm-hmm. he can begin our reading. Amen. Oh, I'm going to read? Yeah, oh you God. got it, dude. Well, you have it pulled up. I do have it pulled up. Okay, great. Um, yeah, I guess uh, if you guys want to read along with us, you can... I don't know if you already said this. I was not listening, Kevin. I did. <laughs> this book is for free in the public domain, yeah. and you can uh, find okay. it to read. I didn't say that, thank you, Noah. That's what yes. I was saying. I so thought you were going to say you could skip I to l- the time code. Right. I li- yes, of course I could. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes, um, I, liter- I literally Googled uh, Pursuit of God online free, just like when you're searching for online free movies illegally. You can do that for this book, only it's not This illegal. is legal, and uh, you can find it on iBooks also for free. Mm. Uh, if, you want, if you want to listen to it, there is an audio recording on podcasts, the podcast app, mm. uh, if you want to listen to this again later. But why would you do that when you could hear Noah's beautiful voice yeah, reading it you to can you? listen to me read it, because it's fun to read along, because we're doing this together, like Amen. a book club. But One day we're going to start reading. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so here we go. I'm going to start, and obviously you can skip to whatever time that was. Uh, if you just want to go to the discussion. so Scrub the poof deck. All right. Uh, The Pursuit of God, Chapter 3, Removing the Veil. Having, therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the whole... Oh, my gosh. Having, therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the whole famous sayings of the church of Jesus, Hebrews 10, verse 19. Mm. Among the famous sayings of the church, fathers, none is better known than Augustine's. Thou hast formed us for thyself, and our hearts are restless till they find rest in thee. Hmm. The great saint states here in few words the origin and interior history of the human race. God made us for himself. That is the only explanation that satisfies the heart of a thinking man, whatever his wild reason may say. Should faulty education and perverse reasoning lead a man to conclude otherwise, there is little that any Christian can do for him. For such a man, I have no message. My appeal is addressed to those who have been previously taught in secret by the wisdom of God. Mm. 
I speak to thirsty hearts whose longings have been wakened by the touch of God within them. And such as they need no reason proof. Their restless hearts furnish all the proof they need. God formed us for himself. The shorter catechism, catechism ca- yeah. yeah, the shorter catechism, agreed upon by the Reverend Assembly of Divines at Westminster, as the New England, New England primer has it, asks the ancient question questions, what and why, and answers them in one short sentence hardly matched in any uninspired work. Question, what is the chief end of man? Answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. With this agree the four and twenty elders who fall on their faces to worship him that liveth forever and ever, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. I'll give you a break. As he uh, can end divine and so formed us that we as well as he uh, can in divine communion enjoy the sweet and mysterious mingling of kindred personalities. He meant us to see him and live with him and draw our life from his smile. That's awesome. That's not in there. I'm going to quit uh, interjecting. <laughs> but we have been guilty of that foul revolt uh, of which Milton speaks when describing the rebellion of Satan and his lost hosts, or sorry, and his hosts. Uh, We have broken with God. We have ceased to obey him or love him and in guilt and fear have fled as far as possible from his presence. Yet who can flee from his presence when when the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain him? When, as the wisdom of Solomon testifies, the spirit of the Lord filleth the world. The omnipresence of the Lord is one thing and is a solemn fact necessary to his perfection. The manifest presence is another thing altogether. And from that presence, we have fled like Adam to hide among the trees of the garden or like Peter to shrink away crying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. So the life of man upon the earth is a life away from the presence, wrenched loose uh, from this blissful center, which is our right and proper dwelling place. Our first estate, which we kept not, the loss of which is the cause of our unceasing restlessness. Wow. The whole work of God in redemption is to undo the tragic effects of that foul revolt and to bring us back again into right eternal relationship with himself. This required that our sins be disposed of satisfactorily, that a full reconciliation be effected and the way opened for us to return again into conscious communion with God and to live again in the presence as before. Then, by his prevenient working within us, he moves us to return. This first comes to our notice when our restless hearts feel a yearning for the presence of God, and we say within ourselves, I will arise and go to my Father. That is the first step. And as the Chinese sage uh, Lao is how I'm going to say his name, has said, the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. Yeah. The interior journey of the soul from the wilds of sin into the enjoyed presence of God is beautifully illustrated in the Old Testament tabernacle. The returning sinner first entered into the outer court where he offered a blood sacrifice altar and washed himself 
uh, in the laver that stood near it. Then through a veil, he passed into the holy place where no natural light could come in. But the golden candlestick, which spoke of Jesus, the light of the world, threw its soft glow all over. There also were showbread, uh, was, uh, was the showbread to tell uh, of Jesus, the bread of life. And the altar of incense, a figure of unceasing prayer. Tag. Let's go. Though the worshiper had enjoyed so much, still he had not entered the presence of God. Another veil separated the Holy of Holies, where above the mercy seat dwelt the very God himself in reverential and glorious manifestation. While the tabernacle stood, only the high priest could enter there, and that but once a year, with blood which he offered for the sins and the sin for his sins and the sins of the people. It was the last veil which was rent when our Lord gave up the ghost on Calvary. And the sacred writer explains that this rending of the veil opened the way for every worshiper in the world to come by the new and living way straight into the divine presence. Everything in the New Testament accords with this Old Testament picture. Ransomed men need no longer cause a pause in fear to enter the Holy of Holies. God wills that we should push into it, uh, into his presence, and live our whole life there. This is, this is to be known to us in conscious experience. It is more than a doctrine to be held. It is a life to be enjoyed every moment of every day. This flame of his presence was the beating heart of the Levitical order. Without it, the appointments of the tabernacle were characters of some unknown language. They had no meaning for Israel or for us. The, great, the greatest fact of the tabernacle was that Jehovah was there. The presence was waiting within the veil. Similarly, the pre- Christian message of God central fact of Christianity. At the heart of the Christian message of God himself, uh, is God himself waiting for his redeemed children to push into the conscious awareness of his presence. That type of Christianity, which happen, happens now to be the vogue, knows this presence only in theory. It fails to stress the Christian's privilege of present realization. According to its teachings, we are in the presence of God positionally, and nothing is said about the need to experience that presence actually. The fiery urge that drove men like Robert Murray McShane is wholly missing. The present generation of Christians measures itself by this imperfect rule. Lowly contentment makes the place Uh, takes the place of burning zeal we are satisfied to rest in the judicial possessions and for the most part we bother ourselves very little about the absence of personal experience Mm -hmm. who is uh, who is this within the veil who dwells in fiery manifestations it is none other than god himself one god the father almighty maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible and one lord jesus christ the only begotten son of god begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of gods, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father the, uh, and the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceedeth from yet this Holy Trinity is one God, who uh, for we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance, 
For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Spirit. But the Godhead of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost is all one. The glory equal, the the majesty co-eternal. So, in part... Uh, in part, run the ancient creeds, and so we, and so the inspired word declares. Tag, perfect. Behind the veil is God, that God after whom the world, with strange inconsistency, has felt, if haply they might find Him. He has discovered Himself to some extent in nature, but more perfectly in the incarnation. Now He waits to show Himself in ravishing fullness to the humble of soul and the pure in heart. The world is perishing for lack of knowledge of God, and the church is famishing for want of his presence. The instant cure of most of our religious ills would be to enter the presence in spiritual experience, to become suddenly aware that we are in God and that God is in us. This would lift us out of our pitiful narrowness and cause our hearts to be enlarged. This would burn away the impurities from our lives as the bugs and fungi were burned away by the fire that dwelt in the bush. What a broad world to roam in. What a sea to swim in is this God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is eternal, which means that he antedates time and is wholly independent of it. Time began in him and will end in him. To it he pays no tribute, and from it he suffers no change. He is immutable, which means that he has never changed and can never change in any smallest measure. To change, he would need to go from better to worse, or from worse to better, he cannot do either. For being perfect, he, not, he cannot become more perfect. And if he were to become less perfect, he would be less than God. He is omniscient, which means that he knows in one free and effortless act all matter, all spirit, all relationships, all events. He has no past, and he has no future. He is and none of the limiting and qualifying terms used of creatures can apply to him. Love and mercy and righteousness are his, and holiness so ineffable that no comparisons or figures will avail to express it. Only fire can give even a remote conception of it. In fire he appeared at the burning bush. In the pillar of fire he dwelt through all the long wilderness journey. The fire that glowed between the wings of the cherubim in the holy place was called the Shekinah, Mm. the presence through the years of Israel's glory. And when the old had given place to the new, he came at the intellectual love of flame and rested upon each disciple. Mm. Spinoza wrote of the intellectual love of God. And he had a measure of truth there, but the highest love of God is not intellectual, it is spiritual. God is spirit, and only the spirit of man can know him really. In the deep spirit of man, the fire must glow, for his love is not the true love of God. The great of the kingdom have been those who loved God more than others did. We all know who they have been and gladly pay tribute to the depths and sincerity of their devotion. We have put We have but to pause for a moment, and their names come trooping past us, smelling of myrrh and aloes and acacia out of the ivory ivory palaces. Frederick Faber was one one whose soul panted after God as the roe pants after the water brook. And the measure in which God revealed himself to his seeking heart set the good man's whole life afire with a burning adoration rivaling that of all the seraphim before the throne. His love for God extended to the three persons of the Godhead equally, yet he seemed to feel for each one a special kind of love reserved for him alone. Of God the Father, he sings, 
only to sit and think of God. Oh, what a joy it is to think the thought, to breathe the name. Earth has no higher bliss. Father of Jesus, love's reward. What rapture will it be? Prostrate before thy throne to lie and gaze and gaze on thee. His love for the, persons of Christ, for the person of Christ was so intense that it threatened to consume him. It burned in him a sweet and holy madness and flowed from his lips like molten gold. In one of his sermons, he says, Wherever we turn in the church of God, there is nothing beautiful. He is the beginning, middle, and end of everything to us. There is nothing good, nothing holy, nothing beautiful, nothing joyous, which is not to his servants. Yeah. No one need be poor, because if he chooses, he can have Jesus for his own property and possession. No one need be downcast, for Jesus is the joy of heaven, and it is his joy to enter into sorrowful hearts. We can exaggerate about many things, but we can never exaggerate our obligation to Jesus or the compassionate abundance of the love of Jesus to us. All our lives long, we might talk of Jesus, and yet we should never come to an end of the sweet things that might be said of him. Eternity will not be long enough to learn all he is or to praise him for all he has done, but then that matters not, for we shall always be with him, and we desire nothing more. In addressing our Lord directly, he says to him, I love thee so, I know not how. My transports to control thy love is like a burning fire within my very soul. Faber's blazing love extended also to the Holy Spirit, not only in his theology did he acknowledge his deity and full equality with the Father and the Son, but he celebrated it constantly in his songs and in his prayers. He literally pressed his forehead to the ground in his eager, fervid worship of the third person of the Godhead. In one of his great hymns to the Holy Spirit, he sums up his ver burning devotion thus, O Spirit, beautiful and dread, my heart is fit to break with love of thy tenderness for us poor sinners' sake. Got you, bro. I have risked the tedium of quotation that I might show my pointed, by pointed example what I have set out to say, viz. that God is so vastly wonderful, so utterly and completely delightful, that he can, without anything other than himself, meet and overflow the deepest demands of our total nature, mysterious and deep as that nature is. Such worship as Faber knew. And he is but one of a great company from a mere doctrinal man can number. Can never come uh, from a mere doctrinal knowledge of God. Hearts that are fit to break with love for the Godhead are those who have been in the presence and, not, and have not overlooked uh, with opened eye upon the majesty, or I'm sorry, and have looked with open eye upon the majesty of deity. Men of the breaking hearts, had a quality about them not known uh, to or understood by common men. They habitually spoke with spiritual authority. They had been in the presence of God, and they reported what they saw there. They were prophets, not scribes. For the scribe tells us of what he has read, but the prophet tells us what he has seen. This distinction, or the distinction is not an imaginary one. Between the scribe who has read uh, and the prophet who has seen, there is a difference as wide as the sea. We are today overrun with orthodox scribes, but the prophets, where are they? The hard voice of the scribe sounds over evangelicalism. 
But the church waits for the tender voice of the saint who has penetrated the veil and has gazed with inward eye upon the wonder that is God. And yet, thus to penetrate, to push insensitive living experience into the holy presence is a privilege open to every child of God. With the veil removed by the rending uh, of Jesus' flesh, with nothing on God's side to prevent us from entering, why do we tarry without? Why do we consent to abide all our days just outside of the Holy of Holies and never enter in to look upon God? We hear the bridegroom say, let me see thy countenance. Let me hear thy voice. Uh, For sweet is thy voice and thy countenance is comely. We sense uh, the call is for us, but still we fail to draw near. And what do- and we grow old and tired in the outer courts of the tabernacle. And what doth hinder us? The answer usually given simply is that we are cold. Without, uh, will not explain all the facts. Yeah, sorry. The answer usually given simply that, that we are cold will not explain all the facts. There is something more serious than coldness of heart. Something that may, uh, that may be back of that coldness. Uh, and be the cause of his, its existence. What is it? What but the presence of a veil in our hearts? Not uh, a veil not taken away by the fir- uh, away as the first veil was, but which remains and still uh, remains there, still shutting out the light and hiding the face of God from us. It is a veil, it is the veil of our fleshly fallen nature living on unjudged within us uncrucified, and uh, unrepudiated. It is the close-woven veil of the self-life, which we, have tru- which we have never truly acknowledged, of which we have been secretly ashamed, and which, for these reasons, we have never brought to the judgment of the cross. It is not too mysterious, this opaque veil, nor is it hard to identify. We have but to look in our own hearts, and we shall see it there, sown and patched and repaired it may be. But there, nevertheless, an enemy to our lives, beautiful thing, block to our spiritual progress. This veil is not a beautiful thing. It is not a thing about which we commonly care to talk. But I am addressing the thirsting souls who are determined to follow God, and I know that They will not turn back because the way leads temporarily through the blackened hills. The urge of God within them will assure their continuing the the pursuit. They will face the facts, however unpleasant, and endure the cross for the joy set before them. So I am bold to name the threads out of which this inner veil is woven. It is woven of the fine threads of the self-life the hyphenated sins of the human spirit. They are not something we do, they are something we are. And therein lies both their subtlety and their power. To be, to, to be specific, the self-sins are these, self-righteousness, self-pity, self-confidence, self-sufficiency, self-admiration, self-love, and a host of others like them. They dwell too deep within us and are too much a part of our natures to come to our attention until the light of God is focused upon them. The grosser manifestations of these sins 
egotism, uh, exhibitionism, self-promotion are strangely tolerated in Christian leaders, even in circles of impeccable orthodoxy. They are so much in evidence as actually for many people to become identified with the gospel. Let me read that again. They are so much in evidence as actually for many people to become identified with the gospel. I trust it is not a cynical observation to say that they appear, uh, sorry, putting on the page to turn, that they appear these days to be a requisite for popularity in some sections of the church visible. Promoting self under the guise of promoting Christ is currently so common as to excite little notice. One should suppose that proper instruction in the doctrines of a man's depravity and the, ne- and the necessity for justification through the righteousness of Christ alone would deliver us from the power of the self-sins. But it does not work out that way. Self can live unrebuked at the very altar. It can watch the bleeding victim die and not be in the least affected by what it sees. It can fight for the faith of the reformers and preach eloquently the creed of salvation by grace and gain strength by its efforts. To tell the conference that it seems actually to feed upon orthodoxy and is more at home in a Bible conference than in a tavern. Our very state of longing after God may afford it an excellent condition under which to thrive and grow. Self is the opaque veil that hides the face of God from us. It can be removed only in spiritual experience, never by mere instruction. As well, uh, as well, try, uh, as well try to instruct leprosy out of our systems. Wow. There must be a work of God in destruction before we are free. We must invite the cross to do its deadly work within us. We must bring our self-sins to the cross for judgment. We must prepare ourselves for an ordeal of suffering in some, in some measure like that through which our Savior passed when he suffered under Pontius Pilate. Tag. Um, let us remember, when we talk of rending the veil, we are speaking figuratively, and the thought of it is poetical, almost pleasant. But in actuality, there is nothing pleasant about it. In human experience, the veil is made of living spiritual tissue. It is composed of the conscious, quivering stuff of which our whole being consists. And to touch it is to touch us where we feel pain. To tear it away is to injure us, to hurt us and to make us bleed. To say otherwise is to make the cross, of, uh, to make the cross no cross and death no death at all. It is never fun to die. To rip through the dear and tender stuff of which life is made can never be anything but deeply painful. Yet that is what the cross did to Jesus. And it is what the cross would do to every man. uh, And it is what the cross would do to every man to set him free. Let us beware of tinkering with our inner life in hope of rending the veil ourselves. God must do everything for us. Our part is to yield and trust. We must confess, forsake, repudiate, uh, to distinguish lazy and reckon it crucified. But we must be careful to, dis, uh, to distinguish lazy acceptance from the real work of God. We must insist upon the work being done. We dare not rest content with the neat doctrine of self-crucifixion. 
It is to imitate King Saul and spare the best of the sheep and the oxen. Insist that the work be done in very truth, and it will be done. The cross is rough, and it is deadly, but it is effective. It does not keep its victim hanging there forever. There comes a moment when its work is finished, and the suffering victim dies. After that is resurrection, glory, and power. And the pain is forgotten, for the joy that the veil is taken away, and we have entered an actual spiritual presence an actual spiritual experience, the presence of the living God. Lord, how excellent are thy ways, and how devious and dark are the ways of man. Show us how to die to our selfish desires, that we may rise again in newness of life. Rend the veil of our self-life from the top down, as thou didst rend the veil of the temple. We would draw near in full assurance of faith. We would dwell with thee in daily experience, there on this earth, so that, uh, so that we may be accustomed to the glory when we enter thy heaven to dwell with thee there. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Awesome. Thank you guys for listening to chapter three with us. Stay tuned and we will discuss. So, after reading chapter three of A.W. Tozer, um, what is our like? What, what do you guys have any response? Any thoughts? Just off the cuff. I guess before we break into it, um, like start breaking down like terms and stuff. Uh, I guess my kind of initial, my initial reaction to some of it. I mean, even as I was reading, I was starting to get a little, a little choked up. Uh, Favors like whenever Tozer's talking about uh, Faber's Favors like poetry or these may be a hymn, but I'm not sure. Uh, when he's talking about how much Favor uh, Favor like just loved Jesus and like to the point of like that that his like love for the Spirit uh, like threatened to consume him entirely and. I don't know, like all of that, just like how, not not about how so eloquent it is, but just like reading about someone else's passion, like it just makes me realize where I've like, I can just wake up and I can go through my day and I can be thankful, thankful for everything God's given me. Like the Lord's actually blessed like me and me and Kimmy a lot lately. And so I can just think about all that stuff, but then I just realize at the end of the day, or realize as I'm reading this, that like, man, like there are so many days that I completely neglect the presence of God, that I completely, or there's entire hours of my life that, that I don't think of his presence, but here he is like within me. Um, it's really challenging. And like, it like puts this fire in me. It's like, okay, God, like I, this is so important. Like I have to, I have to engage with you this way. Otherwise, like, I'm wasting my life, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, I think for me, probably about halfway through the third paragraph, <laughs> <laughs> fell under deep conviction. Uh, so I've probably read this book, including this chapter, I don't know, probably five times 
uh, and it still convicts me. And I think that that is to Tozer's point that really a, a life practiced. Yeah. Yes, yes, rah, rah, amen. Mm. But it's it's really a, a life practiced yeah. and an experience with the Holy Spirit practiced, not not the, the, the theology of the Holy Spirit understood yeah. that changes our lives. And so in which I've tasted uh, that deepness with Christ, and I've been behind the veil, I believe at least, I've been behind the veil at times, but I feel in a deep conviction because I realized how I'm not taking, Christ died to remove his part of the veil. He removed the veil of, between the Holy of Holies, but I'm not dying to remove my inner veil. Mm. Uh, and I just fell under a deep conviction of like, Lord, like I, I don't believe I'm experiencing you the way that you've you've intended for yeah. me to. And so whatever it takes for me to, to get there to where you're not a, an idea to me or a theology to me, but you're you're a person who I interact with, whatever it takes for me to get there, uh, I deeply want that. That's what I was feeling halfway through this personally yeah, to no the doubt. point where by the end of it, like I'm I'm kind of choking back tears because and like I said, I've read this lots of times, but still it's nailing me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I feel this. I feel the exact same way. Um, one of the 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 line that is really like challenging to me is where he talks about scribes and prophets Mm -hmm. and that uh, we have where the church is flooded with scribes, but where Mm -hmm. are the prophets? Yes. Um, That we, and the difference being the scribe uh, talks about what they've heard or read and the prophet talks about what they've seen and experienced. Yes. And that's so challenging to me because yeah, it just, I'm, I'm, I'm good at being a scribe and I want like, and that's not a bad thing, but I really want to be a prophet. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think there's this like image for me that whenever he talks about favor, favor, like that he would press his forehead to the ground in prayer and in worship. And like, this is like all just like reminding me of like times in my life that, I wasn't certainly wasn't defining it and, and maybe we move into like, we can talk about like what the veil is and even in, in scripture and stuff. Um, but for me, I've seen like times in my life whenever I engaged with the Lord in a way that like that, this was a time that a veil was torn in me mm. or that, that I recognized. I can think back to a time when like for me, I remember I was hunting one morning and I was like just sitting on this, like, like power line, no one's else around, no one else is around for like, no one can see me. It's just me and the Lord. And I remember the sun rising and like the sunrise was beautiful. And I'd seen hundreds of them before, but I, for some reason I felt compelled to like lift my hands and like worship God in the middle of the woods. And I like didn't want to, there was this like piece of me, a man in me, uh, there was something dividing me from, the Holy Spirit speaking to me, asking for my, like, for my adoration because of his creation. And, like, there was a man in me that didn't want to. And I remember, like, leaning my gun up against the tree and, like, raising my hands and, like, shaking my head. Like, I can't believe I didn't want to do that. And I remember from then on, it was like a, oh, I can always engage with the Lord this way. Like, that, that there doesn't have to be that barrier there. That was probably, I was probably, like, 14, 15 years old. But, like... I'm like, even the Holy Spirit's like even reminding me of that now where like a veil within me, like it has been torn and that I can always engage and worship the Lord in anything, anytime I'm like doing anything in life, even in the woods by myself, you know? Um, 
so yeah, I guess, I mean, do we, do we want to talk about like kind of what, what is the veil? Yes. Yes. I think you, and that was a, your story is like exactly what this chapter is about for sure. Um, yeah, I would like to take just a few minutes and let's define some terms. Um, what is the tabernacle? What mm. is the veil? He talks about Shekinah. Mm. What kind of? Shekinah. <laughs> what kind of glory? Shekinah glory. Shekinah Amen. Glory. Uh, yeah, so would one of you guys, we both look at Pierce. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Pierce is the pastor. What, what is the tabernacle? All right. Well, uh, if I were a scribe, I would probably, uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, the tabernacle, uh, and, and the, some people that are listening or watching probably will have you know, better explanations in this, but the tabernacle comes from the Old Testament. Uh, it was an instruction, there was an instruction given to Moses to basically make a special big tent, uh, and that's what the tabernacle was, but it, all the other, the people of God were all, li- they were nomadic, they were living in tents, they were traveling through the desert, and and God uh, gave this instruction to Moses, to, and he gave him like these, these like super specific specifications uh, and told him this is exactly how this needs to be built and then he did it and then the, the people the Levites were the priests of God they had put this thing up everywhere they went and it was it was very important uh, to the Israelites during that time because it wasn't just any tent it housed the Ark of the Covenant mm-hmm. and the presence of God himself was there Mm-hmm. And and when they set up this tabernacle and and the the Bible is very specific it, and 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 like when you're reading through uh, like Leviticus and uh, Exodus, uh, you're seeing like all of these uh, all of, all of these. I think it's at the very end of Exodus. Uh, you see God is like, and then make this this long and this this long and have this type of plant and burn this type of oil. And God is like gives it and then but then it literally word. Word for word says, and so Moses made this this long yeah. and that that long and burned this type of oil and had this <laughs> and it like walks through every single word and it does it for a reason because it's trying to say like this thing's so important and yeah. doing things in God's order brings God's presence. Yes. And so at the end of that book, God's presence falls on the tabernacle mm-hmm. and it and, and it's, it comes with fire and with smoke. And and so and he references fire mm-hmm. here, and so that's where the presence of God was, and it was a tent that they would they would take with them everywhere and yeah. set it up, and and it was where they would do their ceremonial washing. It was where they'd make their sacrifices, and it's where the high priest would go and make a sacrifice for the right. people. Yeah, but wait a second, isn't isn't God like a lot of omnis and mm, everywhere present? Yes. Omnipresent. Yes. So Tozer specifically talks about that and says, mm-hmm. "Where can you go from His Spirit?" Yeah. But he makes a distinction between the omnipresence of God, that, that by nature God is in everything because he, he envelops everything. But that's where the word Shekinah comes in yes. because he makes a differentiation. And there was something oh, yeah. in God's Shekinah glory where Adam hid from that more manifest presence. There's something about the manifest presence that is more of God in, in an area. Mm. And so it's, it's going to be hard to understand, just like everything else of God is, uh, but but there's something to the Shekinah glory. And so so just like the presence of God was there in the garden when Adam hid from it, there's a more manifest presence of God that is there in the Holy of Holies. That it's like it's thicker. It's like hard to explain, but it's like it's thicker there. Yeah. And it's so thick. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's so thick that it'll kill you if you if you're not ready for it. Uh, and so and so the Holy of Holies, they would tie a rope around these priests' waists. 
so that, that way if they happened to go in there and they weren't ceremonially clean, and if they happened to die because of that, because God's presence was so thick, they could that's what the veil is. not have to go in and face the, the manifest presence of God themselves. So that's what that's what the veil is, is it, that's what the original veil was, was mm-hmm. the separation between the holy place and the most holy place where uh, you would have to go through this really thick, again, very specifically designed, made out of a certain fabric or animal skins or, or whatever it was. Um, like it said, it was like a hand breadth thick. Whether it's like this or like this, that's still Either way, super like thick for Those a piece are of way fabric. thicker than the blackout curtains on my living room windows, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so that would be a fabric that would be at least like four inches. Yeah. Right. Thick. It's like a wall. So that'd be like fabric on fabric on fabric on fabric. It's a wall. So that veil separated separated where people would sacrifice and like make certain offerings or burn certain incense uh, to the Lord um, and the place where God's actual manifest presence was. Um, And maybe this sounds kind of kind of preachy, but you can do all of like the sacrifice and everything that you do and still be separate from the presence of God if there's if there is a veil in the way. Uh, so let that yeah. conviction hit you. But <laughs> what I'm saying is uh, that's what the veil was yeah, yeah. historically. Um, and then Tozer, obviously we just read it, talks about like, uh, he talks about the veil in our self-life and like that, that there is there can still be a veil but i guess we'll get to that after we define a few more of the terms so i'll say historically mm-hmm. whenever the people of god finally settled in the promised land they they kind of they kind of had a, a up and down history but eventually they finally settled in ha- and they had a capital called jerusalem yeah. and and david united all the people of god together and, and he brought in the Ark, uh, Ark of the Covenant that had been housed in the tabernacle before. And there had been all kinds of different places in the in-between time. Yeah. And he built a permanent structure, or he wanted to. His son built a permanent structure called the temple. Mm-hmm. And, and where the tabernacle was all t- a permanent structure and stuff like that. And was, was, it could be moved. The, the temple was finally like a permanent structure. And so eventually uh, there was a holy of holies and an inner court, an outer court, a holy of holies, just like there was in the tabernacle. Now there was that in the temple. And so that is what's so important about this is when Jesus died on the cross, mm-hmm. yeah. maybe you've heard it talked about at Easter. But when he died, this, this thick, uh, cloth that was the, that was the cloth that separated for them from the Holy of Holies, the veil, yeah. it was torn top to bottom. So it's almost like saying from above, like as if God yeah. did it himself. It was torn top to bottom. And, and now that thing that separated the common person from the very presence of God had been removed. Yeah. Why? Because Jesus is death. Mm-hmm. And so what he's saying is the cross is what removed the veil on God's side. And now there's an, there's another veil because he says, if if we can go straight into the presence of God now, then why do we choose to sit outside yeah. in the outer courts? Why would we do that? He's saying there's still another veil, mm-hmm. and that's when he talks about the inward veil. Yeah, I just want to highlight too, real fast. A lot of times, whenever I think of veil, I think of like, yeah, like a wedding and a yeah. dainty a dainty piece of fabric yeah. you can see through. Yeah. yeah. So whenever you think of ripping that, it's like. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but then, like, whenever you think of like a fabric that's like, it's like God's up there. four inches thick, yeah, just flexing on it. <laughs> it's like whenever you see like The Rock tear a phone book in half. That's, that's what right, I think dude. of when I see Heck that. Yeah. That's crazy. Do you know that whenever that happened, there were like, it says in one of the gospels that there were like 
dead the dead rose dead the, the like dead pe- people hopped up out the grave turned their swag up on up the grave i mean like that's like that that sort of like power it was like the first time ever that that the, the shekinah the presence of like our god the god like was released, was released upon since the garden yeah, yeah yeah and so that sort of power caused caused like dead folks to come it's like a, alive. an overflow of resurrection life yes crazy it's, it's remarkable i mean obviously i'm making remarks or that tozer's you it's incredible and then pierce you were talking about um so the metaphor that tozer's using he's now talking about an inward veil um yeah that also has to be torn down through the cross yes yes yeah, he talks about this inward veil, and he says that uh, it's something that keeps us from God, uh, just like the other veil did. Uh, and that's when he gets into, he says, it is woven of, of the fine threads of the self-life, the hyphenated sins of the human spirit. They are not something we do, they are something we are. Mm-hmm. And therein lies both their subtlety and their power. So we don't see them at first. They're subtle because they're not actions that we do. It's easy for us to say, well, now that I'm a Christian, I'll stop cussing. I'll stop smoking. I'll stop dipping. I'll stop chewing. I'll stop going with girls who, or who be doing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, and so it's easy for us to look at those actions. But he's saying, no, this is something way deeper. Mm. And it's something that you might even identify with as part of who you are. Mm. It's the self-sins. And so it's going to take something miraculous for yeah. you to be for it to be taken from you. It's like you can't yeah. will yourself out of this just like a, a person with leprosy couldn't will himself out right. of this. Right. He can't put just some kind of some kind of you know antibiotic ointment and be like, "Oh, I'm I'm good." No. The only one who could heal the leper was Jesus. Yeah. Right? In that same way, the self-sins the only one who can do this for you is him. Amen. So so yeah, so the fabric of the inner of the inner veil mm-hmm. that's the physical veil was like four four inches thick. It was fabric on fabric on fabric. The inner veil is made up of the different, like the self, self-righteousness, self-pity, self-confidence, self-sufficiency, and self-admiration, self-love, mm. and a host of others like them. Now, this list, y'all, like do we not hear these words all the time? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, even like right now, there's a huge movement of like self-help and... Self-help, self-love, yeah. self-admiration, self-confidence seems like it would be a good thing, yeah. right? Self-pity is like, oh, obviously. Self-righteousness, yeah, yeah, those nasty Pharisee people. Nobody yeah, yeah. got me to wear I know some of these, it's like people take pride in how yeah. self-sufficient I am. Mm-hmm. Nobody, nobody got me to where I am. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. That's yeah. all, Honestly, that's like an American God that we have, yeah. is self-sufficiency. No doubt. And even like self-confidence, if you find someone who's like socially anxious, a lot of people may tell them, oh, what you need is more self-confidence. Yeah. You need more of like... Like it's a, um, but what Tozer is saying, you, you don't want that. You want Jesus. Yes. Yeah. Your confidence is in Jesus. Yeah, your not. righteousness in Jesus. Your, your sufficiency is from Jesus. You admire Jesus, not yeah. yourself. You love Jesus and any love you need, now it doesn't come from yourself. It comes from Jesus. Yeah. So I must become less. He says something, dude, like at the beginning about how everything we could ever need is in him. I can't remember how he says it, dude, but it's, like, beautiful. Uh, I think I was reading. Um, that's a lot of dead space on the podcast. Huh? <laughs> dude, it's all good, baby. 
You want me to do a, sing, a song and dance real quick? Yeah, it doesn't matter. It may, we may not have to find it. I'm just saying, like, but he, he's talking about how, like, man, these men who have actually been in the presence of God, like, they have received everything they could ever need, ever need. It comes from the Lord. He's the bread that we need. He's the light. And it's just beautiful to me because, like, we seek the reason we all go out and we do all these dumb things and we sin and we, uh, we find ourselves away from the Lord is because we're, we're seeking for something to fill us. Yes. The only thing that does it is the Lord. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We, it's not important if we don't find it. Uh, the people listening can probably go back and find it. Do, do we want to dig into these, these self-sins uh, self or kind of what were you, were you, were you thinking, Kevin? That sounds great. Yeah, if, the, if we have more of the inner veil for uh, things that in the, in the material of the, inner, of the inner veil. I think it's the most practice that can come out of it. I mean, if, if everyone listening and, if, and obviously if me, like I'm sitting here getting wrecked, you know, like yeah. you guys and everyone listening for, for, for everybody. Like, but what I'm saying is, is uh, the. We have to understand that, and yeah, we have to understand that the presence of God, and that's what Tozer's trying to say, and that's what the entire Bible is all about. Is like going back to Adam and Eve's connection with the Lord. Like whenever there was nothing whenever they were completely vulnerable literally no veil even by clothing like they were butt naked in the garden together with is that what it, is that what it says butt naked butt naked is that in the uh that's in the hebrew <laughs> birthdays they were start nude <laughs> <laughs> they were butt naked and uh some, if somebody's parents listen to this they probably wonder they were anyway, naked um naked. What the so it's not just metaphorical. Adam and Eve were, for one, completely uh, I almost said transgender, transparent. Uh, Can we just dwell on how naked they were? <laughs> they, were completely, <laughs> they were completely vulnerable. Kevin told us earlier about how vulnerable he was. Uh, <laughs> that was unrecorded. <laughs> <laughs> they were completely vulnerable. All right. We got to tell it. One time, Kevin oh, was at our Kyle retreat. Him and some boys were in the showers. They had them cranked up because they were doing sauna together. They were singing at the top of their lungs. It was 2 a.m. Somebody came in and told them to shut up, and Kevin felt very vulnerable because he got yelled at, and he was naked. So he hid behind a Sorry, veil. Sorry, naked. A naked. veil, which was a plastic shower curtain. <laughs> this may, this um, is beside the point. It happened also whenever I was in like junior high. <laughs> we were in the boys' locker room after football. But the showers didn't work, and so all the boys would go around to the basketball locker room uh-huh. uh, to shower, and I didn't have a towel. It was that didn't stop you though. No, <laughs> and you had to you had to go around. There was like a it was the gym, and then there was the basketball locker room, and then the football locker room. So uh-huh. you had to go into the hallway that opened to the gym to yeah. get to the basketball locker room. Yeah. Anyway, so you had to streak. There was <laughs> there's a brief streaking happen. The girls' basketball team. Oh no, <laughs> Kevin! Oh. They were practicing. I was. I watched. No, no. The girl saw me. I slipped through unnoticed. But one of the girls' basketball coaches was a man. Was a man, and he was walking like out of the. He was walking out of the 
out of the locker room and he saw me and he he yelled at me and I was also very vulnerable. <laughs> <laughs> Getting scolded naked is just, it sounds like a totally different thing. I don't think it's ever happened to me. I've never been, but uh, because I'm it's vulnerable. You're vulnerable. Unveiled. Yeah, that's right. You're unveiled. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying is that's actually the way that Adam and Eve were created to live and and so whenever you get down to like that if that's not just some some metaphor or whatever that like I want to be brought back to that place because um, Adam and Eve, like they weren't worried about things. Like Mm -hmm. they had all of their provision, all of their protection, all of their uh, authority to procreate, to like have dominion and to like, to rule. It was tied up in how much they didn't have any sort of like self confidence. Like why would they need to? Their God, the creator had given them all of that, all of that power, they wouldn't ever have to worry and like, and like, uh, self, um, self preserve because, Mm -hmm. because God was like the preserver. He, he's the one that sustained all of the garden. He's the one that made the trees produce fruit. He's the one that, that, uh, caused the animals to obey them because he created them that way and sustained that. So Adam would never have to say, uh, well, I need to try to preserve this. I need to try to protect this yeah. because they had it all already. And so by returning to uh, or, or ridding ourselves of all of these self-sins that Tozer lists, but there's there's obviously so many sin and stuff, but in a more specific like things that look gross, like egotism mm-hmm. and, and self-righteousness and, and stuff, but stuff that also like slides under the radar, like uh, self-promotion and, and other things that happen within the church. But, Whenever we rid ourselves of those, we then return to how how we were intended to live in the beginning of Great. creation. I love it. I love what you're selling me. Yeah. So what does it take to get there? Uh, I want it. What does it take? You got to die. Gotta. Wait a second. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's the, this is where we all get hung up. Is, and this is what he makes sure to, to, to point out. And I think what's also scary is that he, he says, and I just want to say, like, if, if you think that you are in the clear, that you don't have any of these mm-hmm. self-sins, then you probably have one of them called self-righteousness. Yeah. Uh, but he says that promoting self under the guise of promoting Christ is currently so common as to excite little notice. Mm-hmm. Is that it's even it's even common in the church, and it gets and it gets put right alongside of the gospel, but it's something that will certainly keep you away from God. You might have religiousness, you might have a vast knowledge about God, but you haven't actually been with God because yourself has constantly gotten in the way. Yes. So what it takes is is that you have to take you have to take all of those self sins to the cross, mm-hmm. and what he's in a nutshell what he's saying is dying feels like dying. You know, and it hurts. Yes. And these things are so attached to us that cutting them away, you're going to get cut. Yeah. It's it reminds me of of the pruning that that Jesus talks about the the father father doing in John 15 Mm -hmm. is like you will be pruned. You know, Uh, but that's part of it. And and I'll want it as especially if it's going to draw me more near to Jesus by the end of it. I want the cross. I think I do. Right. But then when I get in the middle of the cross, I'm like, oh, oh, hey, hey, hey. You know, I, I I wanted the joy, right, set before me. Like, I I wasn't, I, yeah. I didn't know about this cup, you know. So he took it on, right? And Jesus himself pleaded with the Father to take the cup away, but he knew that it was necessary. Hmm. So he took it on, right? Hmm. What, you, what you got, Kevin? Nothing. 
Kevin, you're smirking, <laughs> dude. You're smirking, man. Thinking, my mom's going to listen to this podcast. <laughs> uh, but I do have one one thing that I was thinking about. Um, yeah. From those stories. Think about how awesome my mom is and how much I love her. And <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Um, my mom. <laughs> From the stories, even like even embarrassment and stuff, like what is embarrassment? Um, I think it's really like a blow to our, like our self-image. Yes. Um, yes. And so I think really, I even like wonder, I'm not there yet, completely. Uh, that like, if I if my self was to completely die, like, what what is what would it embarrass me? Yeah, like, you'd be free. Like, I would be free of my self-image. You know. Yeah. Um, you'd be like David. You'd say I'd become even more undignified yeah. than this. You'd be like, like Yeah, mom. Uh, yeah, I was, even, I was naked, mom. Even sorry. with uh, your story of like, <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry, mom. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not embarrassed. <laughs> um, even even Noah's story of like hunting in the woods. Yeah. Of like, what was the veil? What was the self veil that was like keeping him from worshiping God? Yeah, there's no one around. Yeah. Um, and and like that embarrassment or whatever else, like. Yeah. Would would fade away because our self would be dead. You know? Yes. So yeah. that was just just a thought I had. It's beautiful. I think that this is where, for me, this is where uh, this may be the most important part is recognizing and 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 laying before the cross the self sins, but it also maybe like he he says it himself. They're both powerful and they're also subtle. It may also be the hardest thing for us to see. And so it may also be the hardest thing for our listeners to identify within this. But if, if you're having trouble, will you read through that part of it again? Uh, and will you ask the Lord to, uh, to show you what, what, the, what the self sins that weave together your inner, inner veil to show you what they are? Yeah. What, what, are you, what are you holding on to? Are you, are you prideful? Do you, do you care too much about what people think of you? What are you holding on to? Self-sufficiency. I'm going to read through the one C. Self, self-righteousness, self-pity, self-confidence, self-sufficiency, self-admiration, self-love, and a host of others like them. They dwell too deep within us and are too much a part of our natures to come to our attention till the light of God mm. is focused upon them. The grosser manifestations of these sins, egotism, exhibitionism, self-promotion, are strangely tolerated in Christian leaders, even in circles of impeccable orthodoxy. They are so much in evidence as actually for many people to become identified with the gospel. Mm. So he's talking about these charismatic leaders uh, that are like so like kind of boisterous and, and fun and like, uh, but really like, all that is coming not from the Holy Spirit. It's coming from their own egotism. Yes. And, it's, and they're, they're so good with people because their ego is so, they're so full of themselves. And, and he's saying that like it's become so accepted because it seems to be effective in, in, in yeah. gathering people. Yes. And so it's become accepted and it actually even goes along with the gospel now. It's like that man would, would be good at evangelizing because he's so, uh, yeah. he's, he's so um, charismatic is, is the only word I can think of. I know that the word charismatic is associated with a lot of other, other, like, other things within the yeah. church, but I'm just talking about Socially it's, yeah. aptitude. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about right now. So. He says, he says uh, I trust it's not a cynical observation. He's like, I, I don't think I'm just being crass. To say, say that 
it appears these days to be a requisite for popularity in some sections sections of the church that people see. Promoting self under the guise of promoting Christ is currently so common as to excite little notice. And like this is obviously written in the fifties, right? I think is when the book was written. But like, like, I think I think okay. So I'm a listener, and I'm sitting here thinking, like, well, I'm not Pierce. I'm not Carp. I'm not Cody Griggs. I'm not. Stephen Furtick, you know, I, I don't have a big audience watching me. Um, and I would say that for myself. I don't have a, this might be the biggest audience I've ever had listening to my voice. Well, I'm just, and so like, I wouldn't typically apply. Um, well, I'm just trying to promote myself in order to be effective for the kingdom. What I will say though, is D group leaders hear me. This is this is the same struggle I've had whenever mm. I'm worried about, oh, if I walk up to this guy, um, mm-hmm. if I walk up to this guy and I don't sound cool because I'm trying to like promote a Christian club to get him to join mm. my D group, yeah. then, then my reputation on this campus doesn't look as good. I'm an RA, and so I need to come off as someone that has it all together. That, I, that doesn't mean I can be transparent in D group because these guys live on my floor. Mm-hmm. Um, like there is this like self-preservation yeah. and like an ego that like I specifically have had to deal with in myself uh, to, to even be able to walk in God's like probably plan for my life in the moment as a student. And, yeah. and that's and probably definitely more as an intern uh, and, and now like coming on to staff, like I'm always like processing through this stuff. But um, what I'm saying is that it's, what I'm trying to say is that this is true on well, no matter on, where you are on every level. If you want to, yes. if you want to call it levels in the kingdom and I don't, I don't want to call talk about it like a hierarchy, but like this is true across the board, no matter who you are, there is some level of like, of this, like don't count yourself out just because Tozer's saying, well, well in the church visible, yeah. this, Leaders, happens. this like, happens. It's, it's yeah. everyone. And so for don't sure. just count yourself for sure. It's really good. This is so important to me. I think that I think that I used to have a deeper conviction and a deeper fear of this. I'll say this is one thing that my brother, uh, he, he died in 2013, but while he was still around, this is one thing that he really taught me is that like if we're going to be anything as believers, then we have to be real mm. because there's there because fakeness is not effective for anything that's eternal. Yes. We may be able to gather something together that's temporary. We may be able to boost our ego. But if we want to do something that's genuinely eternal, then we have to actually be, sounds good in theory, actually interacted with God for real. We have to talk about something that we've experienced, not just something that sounds good in theory to us. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that's not just for the leaders like me. Like That really is for every one of us. If we want to live an effective life for Christ. And it, it, the thing is, it's not even about production and fruitfulness and effectiveness like all that stuff and discipleship dude this for me is like if you're not experiencing this then like why even be a christian like uh and i'm saying this to myself right now because i do this right i'll 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 go into the outer courts of religiosity Mm. and and refuse to go into the inner the inner holy of holies that is the real raw experience with god i'll still do it even now but i'm saying like man why would i do that like when all of the goodness is right there in the inner courts the garden is awesome Mm. why would i not enter in Mm -hmm. the 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 veil has been torn i can go straight in yeah and why not right all the self things that i think that i want they're what keep me right yeah i think i think the why not uh that's got to be our point that's got to be where like our point of response is then like 
is, and Tozer says, like, because, like, this isn't just a poetic idea. This is, um, uh, where's the, I think it's, like, one of these last four, um, one of these last four uh, paragraphs here. Okay, yeah, let us remember when we talk of the rending of the veil, we are speaking in a figure, and the thought of it is poetical, almost pleasant. And that's why we sit here and we say, like, that's beautiful. Yeah. Like, like I want I want that because look at all the benefits. Yeah. But within myself, like, the, the fabric of my being, whenever it's like, hey, you need to hand over your trust in yourself or your confidence in yourself. You need to allow all of you to die and you don't know what part's going to come back to life. Yeah. You don't know if yes. you're li- like, you don't know. Oh, you think you're, you think you're a funny guy. Yeah. Well, well, how about you let God crucify all of that stuff? And maybe God doesn't want you to be missed. And, and then because maybe you've been doing that for attention for yourself. That's what, that's what mine was. Yes. Uh, and, and then what, what happened for me is God gave me back humor, but gave it to me in, in freedom to where I was no longer trying to be, to humor people, to, to, mm-hmm to get attention for myself, but I was doing it because like I wanted to bond and, and show love to the people that were with me. And I'll still go back into the, the wrong way where I'm trying to like, oh, I hope these people think I'm cool. But, 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 but God has introduced me to the beautiful way, which is like, absolutely. oh, I want to share a laugh with somebody so I can like share more love with them. Yeah. 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 You know? yeah, absolutely. So the actual like getting to that point then, uh, saying it's not, it's not just like a pleasant thing. In actuality, there's nothing pleasant about it. In human experience, that veil is made of living spiritual tissue. It's, com- it's composed of the sentient, uh, the quivering stuff of which our whole beings consist. And to touch it is to touch us where we feel pain. I see a doctor, like he's, like, he's made an incision and he's like touching organs that are moving and working as, like, as it's wide open. Like, yeah, that's, like, there's nothing pleasant about that. It's mm-hmm. like an exposed nerve. Mm-hmm. Yes, like that's... Yeah, like that's it can make you nauseous if you're Jacob Stanford and have a and have a like a weak stomach. Shout out Jacob Stanford. Shout out to Jacob Stanford. I hope you hear this. Uh what I'm saying, like that's what I see and that's what that is what like crucifixion does is it's like it's in, it's even more than a surgery. Like even crucifixion for Jesus like his organs were exposed because he was beaten and cut open so much. So, uh of which our whole beings consist, and to touch it is to touch us where we feel pain. To tear it away is to injure us, to hurt us and make us bleed, to say otherwise is to make the cross no cross and death no death at all. It's never fun to die. To rip through the dear and tender stuff of which life is made can never be anything but deeply painful. Yet that is what the cross did to Jesus. Here's the important thing. That's what the cross did to Jesus, and that's what the cross would do to every man to set him free. And so... Let's go. You say this and and I think if someone can see the spirit, the this like connection with God that we talked about earlier that is so intimately important, if they can first see that and say, Well, I want that, they're gonna as they pursue that, they're gonna immediately discover they're gonna say, Give us some of this bread. This is great. I love yes. following you, Jesus. That's exactly right. And then he's going to turn around and say, "Well, if you want the, if you really want this, then you have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. Yeah. If you really want the the fulfillment that is to be with me, then you have to go through the cross. Mm-hmm. If you want resurrection life, Jesus didn't get there too. They went through the worst death possible. 
Yeah. So there's this initial reckoning that is, there's this initial reckoning is, oh, this bread is good. And then there's a immediately reckon, immediate reckoning probably from Jesus himself or from yeah. the Holy Spirit of God himself that is, well, you're not really going to have that unless you completely surrender everything to yeah. me. And, yeah. and so you either get cut off at the first one where someone just doesn't know. They're legitimately ignorant of like how good God is. But then there's the second spot of, oh, well, I care. God looks about awesome, you. but that cross doesn't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think, and so we're referenced in John 6, and it's shown in other Gospels mm-hmm. where where it's just after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus basically chases thousands of followers away who were ready to make him king mm-hmm. because he preaches mm-hmm. uh, a sacrificial message, right? And so it's the thing that chases so many people away from really experiencing Christ. The sad part is there is now, there is now we've made space within our religious organizations to where people are coming and they're saying, I'm ready to make Jesus king. And they don't go through the sacrifice. They don't eat yeah. the flesh and drink of the blood, but there's still place for them. Mm. And so mm. because because this sacrifice isn't pushed into people's faces, we have lots of followers who aren't really willing to follow Jesus. They're willing to follow him all the way up to the cross, but not through the cross. Yeah. Life the way you want me. I think, and I think a lot of the pushback is like, you want me to live my life the way you want me to live my life. But really, I think what, what we're trying to say is, like, we need to live our lives in the way that Jesus wants our, us yeah. to live our lives. Yes. That, yeah. like, that Jesus would be Lord and King, not some man behind a pulpit. But that, That's right. Um, but that the sacrifice is to make Jesus Lord yes. for real. Yeah. Yes. Um, so yeah. I'm at that point then. Like, I'm at, I'm at a spot where I know... I know God is good. I've seen, I've seen how, I've seen his goodness and I've even felt his presence. Like even as I read this, like, and I'm being a little bit hypothetical here, but like, I'm definitely at like probably this point, even a little bit. Like, I think I might always be, I mean, I don't know. Uh, But like, say I'm in this spot where do I, do I just, I'm at this fork in the road of like, I'm at this is it like a cost benefit analysis? Well, I know God is so good, so it's just better that I die. Or well, maybe I don't want to lose I don't want to lose my life. I don't want to I don't want to well, I, if I do that then then I might like I might drink the Kool-Aid like the rest of these guys and then I'll have to do the internship or <laughs> or or if I do that then like <laughs> then I'll have to All right. If anyone actually like took offense to that, I'm sorry. I just I thought that was a uh, I think I think that's a clean joke. Anyway, um, what I, what I'm saying is is how do I make that decision? What 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 would incline me to like choose? Look at Jesus. He's beautiful and he's worth it. That is a it is a cost benefit analysis. And if you haven't really seen Jesus, then you won't be. It's such a high cost that that you won't be willing to pay yeah. the price if you haven't really seen Jesus. But I can tell you that once you've really seen Jesus, the cost is nothing. Mm. Yeah, he's worth it. That you'd go and sell your possessions like, with sell joy. Everything you have uh, to, to for the pearl. That's right. He's worth it. He's beautiful. You found a treasure in a field. He's beautiful. The garden is worth it. Yes. It's beautiful. Yeah. Whatever whatever veil you have to tear out, like right now, tear it out. Whatever to let it go on the cross through. Whatever has to die within you, kill it or give it to Jesus to let it to let it to let it go on the cross. Like he's worth it. He's worth it. He's beautiful. It's worth it. Mm. I want to read this uh, prayer. Um, and maybe we can end it there. Do you guys have anything else? Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. Is like this prayer at the end is yeah. the, I mean, it is it is my 
it's my heart's response i hope yeah um, yeah and so like to to end with like tozer's tozer's prayer and mean it is yeah. yeah i think i think i have one thing that would just like it helps me sort of like put a cap on everything we've talked about and like what is it we do um we enter in hmm. and that it's it's not necessarily tozer's not saying that we read more that we we do any like spiritual discipline one yeah. spiritual discipline more um, but it's that we actually enter in that like we can do all the spiritual disciplines mm. out in the out in the temple courts but the veil is open for us to actually come into the presence that's so, super good. so that's let's, super good. let's not just do the kevin, spiritual disciplines but to enter yeah kevin can you what what does that look like what does it look like to enter in mm. uh i think it's really just a heart posture okay um i think it's whenever we i think part of it and you guys, please feel free to interject as well. I think part of it is whenever we do read that we expect to find God, mm. that we expect to f- hear his voice, um, that we ask to hear his voice, that we like. Um, yeah, I think a lot of times I pray, I I read, but I don't ex- I have my expectation is very low. Yeah. Um, and it just becomes a practice or a discipline and a scribe and I'm not actually yeah. listening for the voice of God. That's um, good. I think it makes me think of at its core unveiling is just what you don't want your mom to think of, which is <laughs> just you moving anything. <laughs> uh, unveiling at its core yeah. is literally just removing anything that would separate and being completely bare, vulnerable, mm. and honest. Yes. Yeah. And I think that that's what I think of is like, I can do it in the middle of the woods, like Noah did. Uh, I can do it in the middle of my work day. I can do it, um, I can do it in the, like, there's been times when I've been in the shower, and I've just, I've just had a super honest moment with God, and I just got on my face praying mm. in the shower. Uh, and like, and like just letting the, the water run forever, I guess, it didn't matter, because that none of that matters to me. It was like, I just got to get honest with God right now, yes. and that's what I need. And I think that that's uh, that to me is what so much of this is about is just getting super brutally yeah. honest with God. If you don't feel His presence, tell Him that. If you don't, if you don't even yeah. know what it's like to go back into the garden, tell Him that. But whatever it takes, just be completely honest. Yeah, I think I have to take in in entering in and like entering in, in vulnerability is like this. Um, I think the practice to take every thought captive and make it align with Christ. That is like, that's my daily battle. That's my battle. It isn't like once I enter into the presence, I'm not sitting here going like, well, do I want to be here or not? Once I'm experiencing the goodness of the garden, like I'm going to stay in the garden, you know, but to, to get there, it is this, this, again, this moment where I have to go like no self, like you're going to, you're going to obey now. Like, uh, uh, the, the Holy Spirit is like, is worth it. And so, um, this thought that like, you would rather listen to, uh, you would rather listen to this music while you're driving. And I'm not saying listening to music while you're driving is bad. Hear me. But like, there's been times when I'm like driving then practically, I'm driving somewhere and I feel this urge to like, to be with the Lord. And, and, and I'm sitting here recognizing like, whoa, I'm not in the holy place now. Uh, and then I like have to do something about it. Like I, like there's like a physical thing that needs to happen for me to do something about it. And part of me is lazy and I don't want to like, I, it's like, I'm Lord, like I don't want to will myself into that, but there takes a point of action of me saying like, 
Lord, like be with me now. Yeah. Uh, Lord, like, like allow me to experience your presence. Like as I'm going to this place, will you bless me or will you bless my, like my lips and my mind so that I can like be thinking of you as I'm in this conversation or eating dinner with my family or, uh, going to church or, or, or like going to work, whatever it is, like it's inviting Inviting the the Lord into what you're doing and uh, inviting the Holy Spirit in, I think would probably be the same as me walking then into the Holy of Holies. Yeah. It's, it's Him. It's bringing Him in is bringing us in. Yeah. And so, and um, yeah, it's it's like a a pra- practical action of of me like of, of me like actually doing it uh, yeah. and and taking control of my mind and like choosing choosing to. Yeah, you'll hear what I'm saying. Yeah, and I think it's it's kind of funny. I'm in the same, uh, I find myself in the same spot many times, uh, but I think it is funny to think about um, really the heavy lifting has been done already yes. um, by Christ. Yes. Right. And so it's like, yes, I'm lazy, hmm. but then it's like, well, yeah. the, the big the big ask has already been done, Yeah. yeah. Um, which I'm not, I'm saying like I'm in the same place. I'm not speaking yes. to you, I'm speaking to myself as mm-hmm. well. Um, but yeah, it is, it is. It's funny to think about, like the sacrifice and the blood of the lamb it took for the priest to enter into the holy of holies. Yes, has already been spilled, and the heavy lifting's been done. Yeah, all we have to do is enter. Yeah, um, and, and unveil. I think you're hitting on it, hitting it on the head, Kevin. If we can recognize that, then like, for me, that removes all excuse for me to to remain outside. Uh, when I recognize how much Jesus went through so that we could be together like this, and that I would refuse that gift. Like for me, that's what that's what breaks me to the point mm-hmm. where I'm like, Lord, let me never, uh, let me never spend a moment outside of your garden and outside and 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 on the wrong side of the veil. Like, help me to enter in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Listen, you gave your very life for this, so like, let me give whatever it takes of me. Uh, yeah. yeah. So Tozer's prayer at the end of the chapter, he says, Lord, how excellent are thy ways. And how devious and dark are the ways of man. Show us how to die, that we may rise again to newness of life. Rend the veil of our self-life from the top down as thou didst rend the veil of the temple. We would draw near in full assurance of faith. We would dwell with thee in daily experience here on this earth so that we may be accustomed to the glory when we enter into when we enter thy heaven, to dwell with thee there. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So, Lord, I, I pray personally and maybe for all of us that we wouldn't, we wouldn't be scribes of this chapter, but we would be prophets. Yes, Lord. Uh, that, we would, that we wouldn't just hear Tozer's words that are really just, really just ref, referencing and riffing off of really your words from the, from the Bible and, and your, your example, Jesus. Uh, but that we wouldn't hear his words and say, bravo, great truth, uh, great message, but then do nothing to, to really enter in. Well, we, we want real experience with you, but we don't want to settle for anything else. Jesus, thank you for dying so that we could have it. Lord, anything that it would cost us, Lord, help us to pay and pay gladly. Lord, help us to, with joy, sell everything that we have. Thank you, God. You are worth it. We love you, Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you for joining us. We're, I think we're going to stick with this format. Uh, 
we've done several different formats and we've done stuff on different social media platforms trying to process through this book with our students uh, and open it up, I guess, to the greater public. But um, I think we're going to stick with this format. Uh, and so feel free to join us every week. I've really enjoyed uh, <laughs> oh, This has been great. Uh, Same. Kevin's mom, thanks uh, <laughs> for joining us. And uh, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, sweet. Sweet.